You are listening to the INCJ podcast, conversations about international criminal justice. somebody come from a position where they feel like the world's against them and everything's in the worst and build themselves up back to a not only a standing member of society but also you see the confidence in them grow that's what I love more than anything else is watching them build them from that point to there and they do it on their own but I'm just there to help guide them and give them that encouragement along the way that's why I do this job that's what I believe this job is really about is bringing people who don't see in themselves what we can even see in them a lot of the time I think the DRC really helps with that in a lot of ways, but truly in all supervision we do that. And I think that's probably why I'm here. As DCS officers, we're officers of change. Our officers carry a dual role in the community. We encourage and facilitate change in those that we supervise by addressing specific needs of the supervisee and ensuring that we provide them with a successful outcome. We are also sworn law enforcement officers, so we serve warrants, whether at the office or at an individual's home. We transport people to and from the Cobb County Jail or any other jail that we might need to pick someone up from. We also collaborate with other law enforcement agencies and also participate in joint operations. I'm a CSO too. I conduct field visits for Cobb County. I supervise high level uh, probationers, standard level probationers. So going out to the field, seeing them at their home, having them come in, having them report for intake, going over their conditions, going over their court order. Um, sometimes we have probationers that have some mental health stuff going on and we try to assist them with that and make sure that they are able to speak with one of our amazing counselors we have in our office that help them kind of see if we can refer them to anywhere that they need to go or if they need mental health medication, we try to refer them to Cobb Services. I'm Josiah Davis, an assistant chief of the Georgia Department of Community Supervision. As an assistant chief, I supervise a, t- a team of officers to make sure they're fulfilling their duties and obligations with their caseloads. Along with that, I provide support, guidance, feedback to them, you know, stepping into the fold if they ever need any assistance. Along with supervising my team, I also carry a caseload, which I supervise supervisees in their homes, out in public, in their communities, and ensure that they're abiding by the terms of their probation and parole. Making field visits are part of my normal routine. I'll go out to a supervisee's place of residence, do walkthroughs, make sure everything's in compliance. During my field visits with my supervisees, I'll check in with their mental health, housing needs, substance abuse needs, and their overall well-being to make sure they're making a good adjustment to the community. I'm one of the Rome DRC officers here. We supervise a group of individuals that have been placed here that's for drug treatment and other behavioral issues. I like what I do. Uh, we get people at their lowest and uh, we get to see them come up and uh, like we're here today with some star individuals and we get to see them prosper in the community. And I'm a field officer. I currently supervise sex offenders that are on probation parole. With a specialized caseload, I can say it's, uh, it can be very rewarding. You have a sense of keeping the community safe. I hold my supervisees to more of a uh, accountability where they're seeing more in the field and may have different types of conditions of probation than your normal case would entail.
name is uh, Casey Barton. Um, I am the mental health consultation program manager here at the Georgia Department of Community Supervision. And I'm here with a few of our specialized mental health officers to discuss our specialized mental health caseload. Um, we want to learn a little more about that um, and how we supervise anybody with mental health concerns um, here in Georgia. So I'm going to get you guys to go ahead and introduce yourselves. My name is Christopher Burke, and I'm the mental health officer for the Middle Judicial Circuit. And I've been supervising the mental health caseload for about five to six years. All right. Welcome, Chris. My name is Jolie Blackman, and I'm the mental health officer with the Italapusa Judicial Circuit. And I've been supervising the mental health caseload for about two years now. And I've been with the agency overall for about eight and a half years. All right. Welcome, Jolie. Hello, everyone. My name is Waikisha Garvin. I am a mental health officer in the Tawalaga Judicial Circuit. I've been with the agency for about nine and a half years and been supervising a mental health caseload for approximately four years. All right. Well, I am so glad to have all of you here and I'm looking forward to this discussion. Um, so a little background, the Georgia Department of Community Supervision is here to protect and serve the state of Georgia through effective and efficient community supervision of anybody that's on felony probation or parole while providing opportunities for success. So since 2015, uh, the Georgia Department of Community Supervision, or DCS, um, has had at least uh, one specialized mental health supervision caseload in every judicial circuit. So this caseload is capped at 50 individuals, um, but we do recommend 40 to each officer. Um, so in Georgia, about 14% of our community supervision population has a identified mental health concern, and that amounts to a a little over 25,000 people. So here in Georgia, um, there are about 2,182 individuals that are on our specialized mental health caseload. And that's about two and a half percent of our total supervision population. So that's what we're going to talk about today um, and learn a little more about our specialized caseload, who's on it, how it works, um, and how it's helping our communities. So we're going to start with Chris. Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about who all is on this specialized mental health caseload? Well, the mental health caseload is designed for any supervisee um, under supervision who has been diagnosed by a mental health professional as having a severe and persistent mental health illness, such as uh, schizophrenia, bipolar, um, major depressive disorder, um, intermittent explosive disorder, or PTSD. This is not an inclusive list, but if you have one of those diagnoses, your chances of being on the caseload is probably uh, very high. Um, additional people that would be included on the mental health case would be all mental health level three and four that have been released from prison and um, supervisees who are from released from the integrated treatment facility, which is an inpatient substance abuse program for individuals that have co-occurring disorders, such as um, alcohol and drug abuse and mental health. Um, Supervisees who are currently receiving mental health services in the community who are unstable and show signs of decompensation, for example, they've come from a mental health hospital, or they go to the hospital or to the doctor's offices for mental health treatment more than other members of the uh, probation and parole community. And um, inner supervisee who needs to be more closely monitored to the mental health concerns as determined by um, other officers or, or chief or assistant chief, um, they're more likely to build mental health case yeah, so whether they're coming from prison or if they come straight uh, from court and get on these caseloads, uh, pretty much any severe mental health disorder um, that's interfering with their daily life, that's who's going to be on the caseload. That's correct. Okay. So how does somebody get placed onto this caseload? 
Well, the most common way for a person to get placed on a mental health caseload is through what we call the DCS um, mental health mental health intake instrument. It's a form that we utilize to basically start a conversation when we first meet the uh, the supervisee, and we ask them questions such as, um, "Have you ever been in mental health treatment? Um, are you currently taking mental health meds? And um, do you have any unusual behaviors such as um, do you hear voices, excessive mood swings, or um, any persistent depression or kind of troubled thoughts. And we utilize that as a gauge just to start a conversation, see if we could help them. All right. So they we use this form, um, you said at intake. So at the beginning of the, um, when they first come on to supervision, we're going to ask them these questions and uh, see if they are going to belong in this caseload. Are there any other times when somebody can come on to the caseload? Yes. Um, anytime an uh, officer recognizes that they may be having trouble with uh, somebody who has mental health issues, they're subject to being placed on the caseload. Um, a lot of times the courts will um, recommend and ask for interventions, either the Superior Court judge or the district attorney's office or the public defender's office. They may reach out to us either at sentencing or um, after they've been on sentence for a while, but maybe a revocation here to maybe try to help them more. And But actually, at any point in time, they could actually come to the caseload. Also, as stated uh, previously, when we talked about who was on the caseload, um, individuals that are returning from the integrated treatment program, they'll be on the caseload automatically. And individuals that are returning from uh, the, the integrated treatment program, they'll be on there. So prison and integrated treatment program, they'll automatically be on the caseload. Okay. All right. So it sounds like we're getting the right people on this caseload um, to make sure that anybody with a severe mental health illness, anybody who's struggling, decompensating, you, use, you mentioned that. Um, coming out of prison or uh, treatment that are already um, identified as having mental health issues are placed on this caseload. Um, so when we're talking about this mental health caseload and you guys are specialized mental health officers, so what does that mean? What kind of training do you guys have in order to supervise this caseload? Um, Casey, all DCS officers must complete our 320-hour basic community supervision officer training course is mandated by um, Georgia law. This includes a 32-hour course on the Enhanced Supervision Program, what we refer to as ESP. ESP is a set of supervision techniques for correctional professionals. Um, the techniques um, are based on existing behavioral change strategies found to be effective when supervising our population. So the ESP skills not only develop rapport, um, increase motivation to change, and provide intentional interventions aimed at changing the supervisee's behavior, but it also identifies and uh, addresses skill deficits. So the ESP program, it represents a collaborative and individual um, evidence-based practice approach to target um, current factors that put the returning citizen at risk for future behavior. So it's all about communication. Behavior. Correct. Okay. We have to have that rapport yeah. with and, our supervisees. Yeah, and as Waukesha just said, this training allows us to target those factors that could put the supervisee at risk. So, for example, if the supervisee has a violation of some sort, this training gives us the tools to effectively communicate with that supervisee so we can really look at what their immediate consequences are. How has this affected your life? And then we're going to additionally look at those future consequences. How is this going to affect your life down the road if you continue on this path? But on the other hand, if they have positive behaviors, we want to make sure that we are reinforcing those as well. So this training gives us the tools to really gain their commitment to stay on that right path.
I, I like that, that it's addressing not only the negative behaviors and trying to stop that, but also promoting the positive ones because they do do things we want them to do right. and trying to get them to continue doing that. Correct. Um, additionally, our officers also have to take our mandatory mental health, um, specialized mental health training. So this is an 18 hour course designed for specialized um, community supervision officers and also um, our mental health counselors who work closely with individuals who have been identified as having a mental illness or co-occurring disorder. Um, in this training, we learn about evidence-based treatment um, models, um, motivational interviewing, psychotropic medications, and their side effects. And we also get the tools to um, supervise the requirements in order to supervise our population who has a mental illness and make sure they, they um, stay in compliance. Um, we also have to take a mandatory training, our CIT training, which is crisis intervention. It's a 40 hour course that is both um, classroom instruction and practical exercise. I absolutely love that training. It's taught by mental health professionals and subject matter experts who are CIT law enforcement instructor, uh, instructors. So um, this course prepares law enforcement officers and other um, public safety personnel with the skills to assist people who may have a mental illness, a co-occurring disorder, or any uh, other types of substance abuse or developmental um, disorders. So not only are we advancing public safety, but we are also reducing stigma that is attached to people who have a mental illness. That's so important. Um, I love that we have this specialized training to learn how to address somebody in crisis. I feel like it's so important for law enforcement today to be able to de-escalate a situation mm -hmm. and to understand what somebody might be going through in that crisis. Um, I went through CIT training myself and uh, I really enjoyed it, especially the practical part of it. Um, instead yeah. of just a lecture type situation where it's just PowerPoint and somebody talking to you, getting out they're getting to actually practice and um, they have bring in actors who are um, demonstrating somebody in crisis and you're actually working through the situation um, I think really helps um, you get those skills rather than just hearing about it you're getting to really try them and use them in the classroom in that safe space so I really enjoy crisis intervention training myself yeah, I highly recommend anybody that can take the training take it it's very informative. Absolutely. Um, so we've talked about like who's on the caseload. We've talked about the specialized training that you guys have to have. So what are some specific duties you guys do day to day as a specialized mental health officer? Yeah. So in addition to some of the general duties of a community supervision officer, such as uh, doing monthly residence verifications and employment verifications as mental health officers, we are also doing monthly treatment verifications. We are ensuring that the supervisee is compliant with their medication. We are working with their family to help create a supportive environment just to promote the overall success of that supervisee. And we're speaking with the supervisees treatment providers to make sure that they're attending their appointments as scheduled and that they're progressing as they're expected to. We also conduct face-to-face -face interactions with the supervisees at least twice per month. Mm -hmm. And then we're making referrals for them for any needs that they may have, such as housing, employment, treatment, medication assistance, anything like that. Um, and then it's just vital that we have a proactive role in their case management plan. So you know, day one at their intake, we're letting them know that we serve a dual role, 
that we are there to help them make those referrals as needed as we can. But we're also still there to hold them accountable to the sentence that's been imposed by the court or by the parole board. Um, So part of that is us developing rapport with not only just the individual themselves, but with their family and their treatment providers to ensure that they're being supervised in the most effective way, but also still addressing their needs that they may have, whatever those needs may be. So how does developing that rapport with not only the individual, but you said with the family and the treatment provider, how does that help? So with by developing a rapport with the family, we are able to the family feels comfortable enough to open up to us and let us know about any additional needs that we may not have otherwise known existed. Um, And they're also there to let us know about any concerns that may come up. And so we're trying to intervene early and, you know, take care of any issues that may arise. And we also develop a rapport with a treatment provider. And that's very critical because we want to know not only is the person attending their appointments, we want to know that they're actively engaged while they're there. So if the person is going to, say, a therapy session and they actually show up, but they're just kind of sitting there, they're not actively engaging, then they're probably not getting anything from that treatment that they need to. So it's not helping them long term down the road. So by developing that rapport with a treatment provider, they are able to communicate with us. Hey, this is going on that, you know, that we see this issue. And so then in turn, we can speak with the supervisee and just help encourage and motivate them to really open up and engage in that treatment plan. So they will have successful outcomes. Yeah, I definitely see how that rapport, not only with the person themselves, but with their family and their treatment provider can really help. I know that one of the big challenges we face with all our supervisees is that, um, they think we're just here to lock them up. They think that's our number one job. And so developing a rapport with them helps to overcome that. But the family also feels that way. And so they're going to be really reluctant to open up to us about concerns or issues that they see that their family member is facing because if they don't have that rapport with us, they're just going to think, well, you're just going to use this information to lock up my loved one. So it's I see how important that is to really open up that relationship so they can feel comfortable uh, reaching out to us. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that we do um, explain during our intake process that we do serve that dual role, not just to supervise your case, but we also are here, are here to help meet those needs of our supervisees. So that always helps with having those conversations at the beginning. So that they they will know that we're not here just to erase them. Right. You have to enforce your supervision, but we are also here to meet those needs and help you reach those goals that you're trying to accomplish while you're on under supervision. I think that's so unique to um, what we do as probation and parole officers is having that dual role. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not just law enforcement, but I am. I have to make sure you're following your sentence. I have to make sure you're following the conditions and doing the things you're supposed to do and hold you accountable. And I'm also here to help you out and and to provide opportunities for success and make sure you have all the resources you need. Um, And that's how we protect our community is is by being both sides of that. I think that's really unique to what we do. So how do you guys think that this specialized mental health caseload helps those people that we're supervising? Well, the specialized mental health caseload is uh, normally a smaller caseload than what you would find on the other caseloads officers run that are probably referred to as the general caseloads. 
Um, on these caseloads, you're more than likely to see uh, the numbers are going to be less than 50, um, sometimes as low as 40. And by doing this, it allows us to give more attention to detail to the cases. So we can have more time to interact with the uh, supervisee so that they can um, do well in their treatment. In addition to that, the officers will also a lot of times help them with uh, schedules of mental health appointments, um, working on getting their mental health meds, maybe helping them nav navigate the Medicare and Medicaid uh, problems they may have so they can acquire the meds, assist them with a patient assistance if they uh, can't get the meds through Medicaid or Medicare. And in addition to that, maybe working through any other issues or problems they may have. And one of the greatest problems we have in the rural areas is that they have transportation issues. And a lot of times they want to go to the appointments, but the family works and they can't go there because they have to go to work. So these are unique problems that the mental health officers uh, have great challenges in doing while they're supervising these caseloads. Right. Mm -hmm. What about you guys? How do you think it helps them? Well, to me, more time and attention is dedicated to our higher risk population. So these individuals are on a smaller caseload, which allows a more um, hands-on approach and allows the officers to determine if the supervisee is decompensating so that we can intervene early on. So by working with the treatment providers, building those relationships with their family and support systems and assessing the risk and needs of the individual, we are increasing stability and hoping um, that we are reducing recidivism. Right. It's so important that early intervention before yes. there's a violation, before there's an issue, um, before there's a new charge being able to step in and intervene early. Yes. What about you, Jill? Yeah. So one of the best ways to really describe how this mental health caseload helps those being supervised is to talk about a success story. So as, you know, they just spoke on early intervention is key and having those smaller caseloads is key. So I had a young lady on my caseload who was recently released from prison after a revocation. She was determined to turn her life around um, when she got released. So that definitely helped. And so when she got released, we immediately recognized that her original residence plan was not going to be a good environment for her. So we were able to work together and help find her more stable housing. And then we eventually continued working together and we helped her find stable employment. And then as we continued just to work together, um, she was able to recognize that her medications weren't working quite well for her. And she relayed that information to me. So then I was able to help encourage her to step up, you know, talk to your doctor, let them know what's going on. These side effects are happening so you can get that adjustment that you need. And so she was able to do that and get those adjustments. And so with each of those steps and accomplishments, that just helped her to become more stable. And she was eventually able to be reunified with her children, which was the major, major goal that she had. Yeah. And then she also recognized within our community a need for a specific peer recovery support group. And so she actually created and is now leading that peer, peer report, peer support um, recovery group at our local uh, recovery center. Wow. Yes. And so just by her continuing to communicate with me and let me know about these issues and challenges she had going on, I was able to be there for her, help her, you know, make those referrals that she needed and just help her to become more stable. So since then, she has become very stable and she was uh, able to be removed from the mental health caseload and she's now being supervised at our lowest supervision level possible. Wow. wow, what a success story. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love that. I love hearing stories like that because it really, you know, helps 
emphasize what we do and and that we are making a difference. And I agree. I think that if she hadn't been on this specialized mental health caseload, Mm -hmm. that a lot of those things might not have been addressed. Um, You have training in mental health medication. Mm -hmm. So being able to have that discussion with her and talk to her about her medication is unique. Um, Having the time because Mm -hmm. it's a smaller caseload to you know, help her set up appointments, help her address her residents' needs. All of that is obviously made a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that you kept using the word um, stable, mm-hmm. helping her to get stable, because it's not just, especially with our mental health caseload, it's not just a reduction of recidivism that's a measure of success, but it's really that stability. Mm-hmm. You know, if we can get um, our supervisees to that place of stability, in their homes, um, with a job, if they're able to work with their treatment, with their medication, then, you know, we're looking at long-term success, not just success while you're on probation or parole. I love that. Um, So in order to really provide additional support to you guys, to our mental health officers, um, we are introducing a um, consultation component to this caseload. So this consultation component, um, is going to allow you to have both group and individualized uh, consultations with a licensed mental health professional. So you guys are part of our pilot group. So I'm super excited uh, to start this program up. So you'll be able to meet with um, the licensed uh, mental health professional and discuss your cases to get extra insight and support, um, get advice, get help with referrals, get emotional support for yourselves um, to help make sure that this caseload is successful as it can be. Mm -hmm. You're going to be taught how to um, select and present cases to the consultants. You're going to share um, information like demographics, current and past uh, treatment and medication information, and then any current problems or concerns that you need help with. So we're excited to bring this program in. I think it's going to make a big difference. um, And I'm so glad you guys are a part of it. Yeah, so I'm really excited about this consultation component and how this is going to help us. But how exactly will we decide which cases to present? So you're going to do this in one of two ways. So one way is our case management system portal is actually going to automatically flag certain cases to present for consultation. So um, we're setting up the system to look at certain factors like homelessness, a new hospitalization, a new arrest or maybe a combination of factors like they're failing to attend treatment regularly or they're failing to take their medication. And when the system recognizes these things, it'll automatically flag this case. And so it'll show up in your portal system and the uh, consultant's portal. So you'll both see it that this case probably needs some extra attention. And we're doing this because we really think it's going to save a lot of time. Okay, we don't want you to have to filter through all of your cases every month looking for what cases need, you know, extra attention. Who really is struggling? Who needs this? And so we're setting it up so the system can flag these cases. Um, But on the other hand, you'll also be able to select the cases yourselves. So while Portal will flag some cases, you'll be able to look at a case and say, you know what, technically this case may be going okay. All right. So um, they don't really have any red flags in the system. You know, on paper, it looks okay, But you guys are the supervising officer. You work day to day with the people that you're supervising. And so you're going to know that, well, this is somebody that, you know, I really feel like I need help connecting with or reaching out to building that rapport Mm -hmm. that we talk about. 
or maybe there's some issues you see that are starting to develop and we can get that early intervention instead of waiting on a new arrest. You can select the case yourself and say, okay, this is a case I really want some extra help with. What is the difference between the individual and uh, group consultations? All right. So in a individual consultation, you guys will meet one on one with a consultant. You'll present your cases um, and get that one on one help. So it'll just be you and the consultant. So you'll be able to talk to them about not just cases themselves, but also about, you know, obstacles you may be facing with supervising this caseload. We understand that this caseload can be a lot. So it can be an opportunity for you to talk one on one with a mental health professional as well and get some insight on some individual cases. And then you're going to have the group consultation. So in the group consultation, you won't only present the case to um, just to the consultant, but you're going to present the case to your peers, to other mental health officers. So this will give you a unique opportunity to get some insight from your peers, from people who are doing the same job that you are doing. So maybe they have a similar case or have faced similar issues before Mm -hmm. and have had some success or found something that worked in that case. And they can share their advice or their insight from their own personal experience, as well as the insight from the professional, you know, mental health consultant. Um, So we think that balance of both an individualized consultation and a group consultation will really kind of give you the best of both worlds to be able to talk to um, this consultant about whatever you need to talk to them about to make sure that you are uh, getting the help that you need or insight that you need on any of your cases. Okay. What led to the Department of Community Supervision to bring the consultation component to the specialized mental health caseload? Well, I guess the main reason is that research has shown that people who work with individuals with mental health issues have an increased work stress, increased depressive symptoms, um, an increased emotional exhaustion. And research has also told us that if an officer is experiencing this psychological distress, they are less likely to be supportive to the supervisees that they're working with. You know, they're less likely to meet those needs. So bringing in this uh, consultation component, it really helps to eliminate that emotional exhaustion. Um, It's going to provide you that personalized support um, to help you out, Mm -hmm. to help give you some extra insight on your cases. And so hopefully it'll eliminate some of that work stress on you. And if your work stress is decreased, then you are going to be better able to meet the needs of the people you supervise. So not only is providing the support going to help you guys, but it's going to in turn help the people that you supervise and we'll get better outcomes in the long run. So that's why we're wanting to bring this in. We really think it's going to be it's an evidence based program that we think is going to be successful. I'm looking forward to (laughs) it. I am too. I'm very excited um, about how that's going to go. So I want to ask you guys a couple more questions about the caseload. So what do you like most about supervising the mental health caseload? I think the mental health caseload is unique. It's different. It's challenging. Every individual is unique and every case is different. And um, that falls in line with what our agencies really want us to do now, which is self-centered supervision, where you've got to look at each individual as a unique in the holistic whole and see how you can best try to help them with whatever their problems are to get them to a better outcome. Yeah, I, I like variety. Um, I like that the uh, every day is a new challenge. 
And like you said, each case is different. Each person is different. And so it gives you a, a unique opportunity every day to use your problem solving skills and to work with somebody. What about you guys? What do you like about it? Uh, for me, I like that we are helping to reduce the stigma. So we all know that there is a stigma revolving around mental health. And so by us, you know, working with these uh, supervisees and help promoting successful outcomes, it's not only helping them while they're under our supervision, but it's helping them for the long term. You know, when they're off supervision, how are they going to be? And so if we're helping them, you know, be successful long term down the road, I feel like we are helping to just overall reduce that stigma uh, one case at a time. I love that. Um, really looking long term and looking past while I have you on supervision. But if we can increase that stability, increase that success long term, then we are really helping our communities all around. And, and that's what we're here for. So and reducing that stigma, building that rapport, getting people to talk about it mm-hmm. and, and learning to live with their disorder or their mental health issues um, and still know that, you know, I can still be successful. I can still be part of this community, you know living with this. So yes. I love that. What about you, Akisha? I love um actually working on a mental health caseload. I feel like we are creating a safe space for our supervisees to be able to open up to us, to build that rapport. So I feel as officers, we are making a difference so that these individuals, even when they are no longer under probation or parole supervision, they can continue to have that successful outcome even, even after supervision. Absolutely. I like how you word that a safe space mm-hmm. because that really is what this building rapport and having that smaller caseload yeah. and being able to work with this individual is all about. Because if they don't open up to us, if they don't talk to us about what's going on in their life, the struggles that they might be having, the issues, medication, housing, mm-hmm. um, go, problems with their treatment provider, anything like that, if we don't give that safe space, and we're not going to find out the information we need to really help them. Mm-hmm. So I like how you worded that. Um, so I feel like we've learned a lot about our mental health supervision today, about who's on the caseload, um, about what we do day to day, the specialized training we have to have. Uh, so one last question for you guys. What do you think is the biggest challenge you're facing right now supervising those individuals with mental health concerns? I'll say the biggest challenge for the officers that work in the rural areas is the fact that a lot of times they don't have transportation to get to and from their mental health appointments. Mm-hmm. Some vendors, uh, mental health providers will provide transportation, but a lot of times it's dependent upon on what the Medicare will pay for or the Medicaid will pay for. And if the family members cannot get them to and from the appointments because of work schedules or limited resources, it's very difficult to get them the treatment they need. And that's one of the major hurdles that we have on the health case. So, the person may want to actually go to treatment and you've convinced them to go or they actually know they need it, but they just don't have the resources to get there. Right. Yeah. Transportation is a big issue for our supervisees. A lot of them come out of prison or come out of jail. Um, they don't have a license. Um, they don't have a vehicle. They don't have that support system to get them back and forth. So I think transportation is a, a very big obstacle. What about you guys? Having that work-life balance is uh, sometimes difficult for me. You know, as officers, we want to help everyone. So sometimes we do have those limited resources, as uh, Chris stated. So we basically spend non-traditional hours calling 
around and just being a listening ear, even if the person is in a crisis. So we have to, you know, sometimes work those late nights or early mornings, which are non-traditional. So this can create sometimes, you know, work stress. So I'm really looking forward to the consultation component um, of the mental health caseload. I'm so glad you said it because I, I hope this really provides some extra mental support mm-hmm. for us, for the mental health officers. Um, I remember when I had a mental health caseload, um, your your phone rang all the time, middle of the night, weekends. Yeah, there were no bankers hours <laughs> for our mental health supervisees. When they were having a crisis, you are the point of contact. Yeah. And um, and it's hard not to answer the phone because, yeah. you know, this, this may be the time that if I don't answer, if I'm not there. Yeah. And we try to meet all of those needs. Um, so hopefully this consultation component will really help provide some extra insight and advice and things like that, but also some extra support for ourselves. Absolutely. I think it's it's a combination of, you know, what these two have just said and, you know, the, and the lack of resources that, you know, transportation obviously is an issue for us, but sometimes we're able to actually get the person to their appointments. They get there and everything's great, but then they get prescribed their medication and they can't afford it. It's way too expensive. They don't have income just yet. So how do we help them get that medication filled? Right. But that's an issue that we face, too. That is a big obstacle. Here's the medication, but you can't have it. Um, So hopefully, again, um, that as we continue to conquer these obstacles together Mm -hmm. and uh, we can continue to help um, our supervisees with these mental health concerns be successful. Um, So specialized supervision caseloads have been implemented in Georgia to better meet the needs of this population. And uh, this type of specialty supervision has been shown to be most effective when there are smaller caseloads, so less than 50 people. Um, When there's sustained officer training on mental health, we have to be informed in order to help uh, our supervisees. Um, officer coordination of and direct involvement in that treatment plan, mm-hmm. you know, not just giving you a referral, but being involved with that treatment plan. Um, and then a reliance on a collaborative problem solving approach to working with our supervisees. And from hearing you guys today, it sounds like that we're implementing all of those. Um, and we feel like we're doing a good job and we're always looking for ways to improve. And that's another reason we're bringing in this consultation component is Mm -hmm. to see, you know, how can we make this even better? Um, So as you guys have heard, I appreciate you joining in um, that DCS is working hard to balance the judicial needs um, of our communities with the mental health needs of the individuals that we supervise. So I appreciate y'all's time. um, And I hope you have enjoyed this insight into our specialized mental health caseload. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much. That was so interesting. And uh, I think everybody who's listening to it will find it as a real snapshot into uh, uh, the the process that you're going through and how you're developing it and the enthusiasm and commitment that comes across to uh, – it's a real shift in terms of the way the the supervising job is thought about – uh, and I, I just wanted to ask you one question, which was, what would you ask, what would you say to people who were maybe thinking of you know, planning a career in supervision uh, in the future? What would be the message that you say, what do they need to be preparing for now? And what should they expect out of the job in the future? Um, I think the biggest thing is is flexibility. You, If you're going to do this job, you have to be flexible because it, it changes 
every day. Every day is different. You're not going to go in from eight to five and work and do the same routines every day. Um, each, like Chris talks about, each individual is different. Their needs are different. But not only that, how we supervise changes. You know, the more we learn, the more we apply um, new evidence-based practices. We've changed how we communicated. Um, Wakisha talked about the ESP training that really changed how we communicate with supervisees and how we talk to them. Um, we've got implemented a lot of technology into how we supervise. We have body cams that we use. Um, we have uh, a case management system that has been customized for what we do. Uh, we are starting to bring in some AI as well um, into our supervision. So you've got to be able to move. You can't get stuck. Um, if you want routine and you want your job to be the same, this is not the field for you. <laughs> uh, but if you like the challenge and you like learning new things and you like the flexibility, this is where it's at. Yeah. Expect to get up early and go home late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Most jobs are like that now. So thank you very much. We really appreciate the time and the organization to bring this together. And it was really fascinating. So thank you very much. You have been listening to the INCJ podcast. Conversations about international criminal justice. To find out more, go to our website at criminaljusticenetwork.net or follow us on Twitter at INTCJ Network.